Well, that's the first time I've ever used a cane to get into the pulpit. And we'll see how it goes following some back surgery that I've had. Uh, what a magnificent passage we have before us this morning. And uh, as uh, Dave Legemeyer read it this morning, read it so well, the, the structure of that passage, I guess I don't need this, the structure of that passage uh, is so apparent because it, it goes like this. Verses 1 through 3 is amazing depths, the depth of our sin, dead in our trespasses. Verses 4 through 7 uh, is amazing heights. Oh, he's raised us up in Christ Jesus and seated with him in the heavenly places. And then verses 8 and 9 are amazing grace, as was read this morning, that saved us. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And then in verse 10, we have amazing work, or the amazing work of God. So this, this passage just holds together as one of the grand passages of the gospel in all of Scripture. And uh, I'm thrilled to preach it to you. I taught it in Sunday school about a year ago and then thought, I'm going to preach this uh, a couple of times more. And so this morning, uh, it's going to be delivered as a message, not a lesson. And I hope to preach it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the amazing flow of that passage as was read this morning. And this great statement, the, the last part, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This great statement, we have two things. God's role in salvation. And secondly, what is required of us as his workmanship. So God's... Uh, work in creating us is his workmanship. The, the word workmanship comes from a Greek word. It's the only Greek word you're gonna hear about this morning because it's, uh, it kind of translates into the English language. The, the Greek word for workmanship is poema, uh, which can be translated poem. Sometimes it is. Uh, that word, I understand that in the Scottish language, the root in the Scottish language is the same word poema and that it was Sir Walter Scott in one of his novels has a, somebody describing uh, Edinburgh, and he does a marvelous poetic job, and his friend says, aha, so thou canst play the maker yet? And uh, the maker, the poet, and he has a footnote that in the Scottish language that is the word for maker, the same word as in Greek. Now because of this, this word workmanship sometimes uh, has, some people have tried to kind of just use the word poem. We are his poem. Well, that's a beautiful sentiment. It has some reality that we are the poem of God, but this word that can be misleading because poema could be used to describe a statue, a sculpture, a piece of architecture, uh, a song, a painting. So what is, how should we really render this word workmanship? Well, there's a scholar by the name of F.F. F. Bruce who uh, 
was around for years, very careful about what he would say, never overstate anything. But this sounds like an over-the-top thing because Bruce says that the best translation by far is his, we are his work of art, his masterpiece, that we are God's work of art. So you ought to make a note next to that, that his masterpiece, his work of art, is who we are. Wow. How do you say that? Well, the best way to understand this is by contrast with the rest of his work. First of all, God is creator. Nothing exists apart from him and that he brought everything into being. There's a psalm that uh, we all probably have heard the opening line. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So the, the galaxies, the stars, the Milky Way, the things that we see out there all uh, proclaim the work of his hands, the glory of God. Indeed it does, and it goes on in that psalm in verses uh, 5 through 7 to talk about the sun coming out of the tent and running like a bridegroom across his, the chamber, you know, in strength and power till it sets at night. I mean, it all radiates the glory of God. Nature radiates the glory of God. You see it around us, it's not just that, uh, the firmament, I mean, what we see in here, the earth, the space. Uh, years ago, I read a, a novel by Annie Dillard called Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, famous novel in its day, or it wasn't a novel, it was uh, her reflections on nature, and she talks about being knocked out when she looked at a tree in the backyard and saw it full of lights, each cell buzzing with flame, and she was knocked breathless. I mean, when we, really, when we really think about what's going on in a tree, you can be knocked breathless. I was knocked breathless in a different way. I like to fish. And uh, in fact, uh, just holding a, a little trout in my hand before I release some catch and release, of course, and see those little uh, uh, pink stipples uh, on its side and put it back in the water, that's a glorious thing to see. Years ago, and I mean years ago, 45 years ago, I was invited by some men that I was uh, teaching a Bible study to, They were, and one of them was very wealthy, and he had a yacht down in Cabo San Lucas, 45 feet long with a crew. He flew us down there in his own plane, 45 years ago, only one hotel in Cabo San Lucas. I wish I could invest in real estate 45 years ago, I can tell you that. Well, we got on his yacht, and uh, I, I remember this cloudless day on the Sea of Cortez with all the kind of turquoise and platinum of the water, fishing out there, lunchtime going into a cove, everybody got the snorkels on, and you're down there with pink and yellow, and everything swaying, completely different thing. Uh, caught a lot of fish that day, a lot of fish and uh, barbecuing some wahoo on the beach while the sun went down over the Pacific. Not bad, huh? Seeing 
the stars come out, the fires of Arcturus, the whole thing. That same day I marveled at his animate creation. We fished a school of yellowfin tuna you could not see across with all the squid that were jumping. Hooked a marlin that day and saw him fall back into the sea like a fallen horse. That's a Hemingway phrase, by the way, that I co-opted. All this, so beautiful. But it was not his ultimate workmanship. Everything that we saw that day was not his ultimate workmanship. There's something far beyond that. You see it in a delivery room with a newborn baby, mouth open, eyes open, arms kind of flailing, outstretched as if to embrace life. That is a far greater miracle. It is the apex of God's creation. That baby is the apex of God's creation. Why? Because the baby is a, a physical wonder. Its mind is an amazing computer. It will grow to have about 10 billion cells, weigh about four pounds, and be as complex as the universe. The mind itself, amazing computer, recording virtually everything it experiences, its eyes passing on data. I had uh, years ago a friend uh, who was an eye surgeon, and I asked him about the eye, and he talked about how the eye comes, uh, light comes first through the cornea, then the focusing lens, where the image strikes the retina, stimulating, he's told me, 125 million nerve endings simultaneously. And this is, he says, processed by millions of microswitches and funneled down to the optic nerve, which contains one million separate insulated fibers, so there are no short circuits. And when the information reaches the brain, an equally complex process begins with those 10 billion cells, all of which take place in a millisecond. That's a wonder. The ears, so attuned to vibrating sound that they can listen to an orchestra or perhaps uh, compose uh, a Bach uh, piece, right? What a wonder. That is a great wonder, but the thing that goes far beyond that is that baby is made in the image of God. That was read by Kathy Legemeyer this morning in the opening verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, that baby not only has a body, that baby is created in the image of God and has an eternal soul, is an eternal being. The destiny of that child I would not know from birth, but I know this, it's eternal. Not just physical, eternal. It has, despite its sin nature, a delicate moral sensibility, mind-boggling possibilities. St. Augustine, 
Here's a quote from Augustine that's really good. He said, men go abroad to wonder at the height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of rivers, at the vast compass of season, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. You know, about what they are. So fearfully and wonderfully made. Man is the wonder of God's creation. Man and woman, that baby is. He is without a doubt the apex of God's physical creation. No angel can rival you. Because, yes, you. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> because no angel is made in the image of God. You are. You are. Now, as wondrous as this is, as wondrous as you are, it is not the masterwork spoken of in our text, which is God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The ultimate workmanship of God is a human being who, despite being dead, and their transgressions and sins, though made in the image of God, have then made, been made alive in Christ. Two creations. The creation in birth in the image of God and then created again in Christ become the masterwork. The very essence is due to the work of Christ. Now Christ is the executor or the agent of creation. You know that. The famous text in uh, Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says it explicitly. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus Christ. For by him all things were created. That's by Jesus. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Every human being is created in the image of God and held together by Jesus, Jesus Christ. But the masterwork here has undergone a second creation in Christ Jesus. Christ also is the executor or agent of salvation. Paul describes this elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5.17. You've heard it many times. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Actually, that language is so powerful. Anyone in Christ, boom, new creation. That's how it says it. A new creation. This creation is a greater work than the newborn made in the image of God because it costs the Son, the Father, and the Spirit everything. And then was created by the unparalleled power of the resurrection. I mean, this is so, so heady and so uh, 
energizing. To quote Jonathan Edwards, the supreme mind and expert on conversion, Edwards said, the spiritual life which is reached in the work of conversion is a far greater and more glorious effect than mere being in life. He said it is greater than made in the image of God. So the most stupendous creation is man and woman in the image of God made alive by Christ. So believers are subject to Christ to creations. You are the ultimate workmanship, his masterpiece. So if you are a believer this morning, you are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In him. In him. You are his masterpiece. And that means that you are of untold worth. Now, this great truth may be hard to really take hold of as you sit here this morning in frail human bodies, having gone through a week when maybe something has happened to you, it's made you feel about that tall. A relationship, a professional thing, uh, the inability to comprehend something that someone else understands, it seems so easy to them. Uh, an uncomfortable social relationship where you don't feel adequate at all. Some have had things happen that make us feel just the opposite of being his masterpiece. We doubt our worth. We sense little potential. Well, the thing is, all those things happen to all of us. But don't believe that you're not his masterwork, his poema. Because as a subject of those two creations, you are of ultimate workmanship. His master work is work of art. We're all in process. There's a well-traveled story of Michelangelo. He's chipping away on a, a big piece of marble. And he said, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm liberating the angel that's inside this piece of marble. Famous story as he chips away at that. Well, we're in the hands of the great maker, the ultimate sculptor who created the universe out of nothing, and he is sculpting the granite of our lives. His tools are the Holy Spirit, his word, the preaching of his word. Oftentimes, as he chips away at that granite, he uh, uh, sculpts us with hardships, like uh, King David's... Uh, uh, detractor Shimei other times he sculpts us by the beautiful life of a friend a Christian someone who really believes well two things are required of us one thing is to believe it now I, I can I can say is, is if you're listening to this this morning I'm talking about as a believer you're trying to get your mind around the fact that you are his masterpiece and trying to accept it, that's hard to do. You can believe that you believe it and really not believe it. Well, of course I believe that. But you really don't believe it. Because if you believed it, that can be life-changing right now. So... 
I like to say this all the time, we need not to believe that we believe it or think that we believe it, but we actually need to believe what we already believe. That is life-changing. The other thing is just to be still. Now, having established the grand truth that we are his workmanship, his masterwork, the question is, what does this privileged position require of us? Now, in keeping, in keeping this answer in mind in verse 10, we need to keep the final line of verse 9, which says that no one is saved by works so that no one can boast in his works. But once we're saved and become his workmanship, we work. Verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I want to say, if you're saved by grace, you will work. You're not saved by works right? But you will work. Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that was read so beautifully this morning that grabs our hearts by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul said to his associates in 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, grace of God, I am what I am. And by the grace, grace of God, I worked more than all the rest, yet it was not, it was basically not me, but God's grace within me. He says, grace works. And that is echoed by the prayers of the New Testament again and again. Here's a, a, a prayer wish from 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. This is from Paul. May the Lord Jesus Christ himself encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work. That's 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Again, in Colossians, Paul is, is, is praying, Colossians 1:10, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. And then whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we don't know, but the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, gives this benediction. Now the God of peace equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So not only are we as his workmanship to work, says Paul, but we're to realize that God has laid out the works which we should do. Now this, is, this is interesting. The book of Ephesians says that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth. And here it says, your works were chosen. It says, see the last part of verse 10? to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do or prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So each of us has an eternally designed job description, which includes the task and the ability to do these things. Now, I know that we're, we're thinking about ourselves and we're thinking about, well, I, to do good works that God prepared in advance. First of all, as was read in Genesis 1.26, you're created in the image of God, an eternal, immortal being with deep moral sensitivity. In fact, created in the image of God means with that mind you have, you can do something that no computer can do. You can send and receive signals from God. No computer will ever be able to do that. Only what's up here can do that. Not only that, in Acts 17, where Paul is speaking to the, the intellectuals, the Areopagus in Athens, he says that God has allotted periods and boundaries for us to live. He's chosen the time in which you live, where you are, the epics were chosen by God. And then using the body metaphor in 1 Corinthians that we are members of the body, there are all kinds of implications about the, the gifted parts of the body, the ungifted parts of the body, and he says the ones that don't seem to be important are far more important. This is what he says. So it's not a matter of, of some cosmic gifts, transcendent gifts. It's a matter of the fact that he has called each of us to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do with what he's given us, where we are, in this time. I mean, it's really easy for me. I, this is an easy one. If you're a mom with four children, your good works are pretty limited to a small space and uh, limited vocabularies, right? Right? How much more exalted could it be? Right? You know, I want to. I want to. Uh, we talk about giftedness. Uh, I, I pastored a church for years, and this is not an exaggeration. We had nearly 100 families with a Down syndrome or brain damaged child in church. It's because we had a ministry called the Stars Ministry. Mo most of those Down syndrome were, well, they were all limited. But we had Down syndrome students who were using their gifts to the glory of God. Right? We had them greeting people on the Lord's Day. Sometimes memorize the scripture and read it. It was just the, the, the great personal kindness that often comes from a student like that. They're a beautiful thing in their parents. Now, I think that it's easy for us to give our giftedness to God, our strengths to God. I think what he wants is our weakness. 
This is, this is highly personal, it's subjective, it's my read on myself. There have been times that I've been preaching and I felt as though I were standing apart from myself watching someone speak. In other words, I'm preaching and I feel like the Holy Spirit is, and, I'm, and I say this is on rare occasions, so don't get me wrong. And I, I feel like uh, the words are going like arrows. And I, I have, uh, I'm more articulate than usual. The wind of the Holy Spirit is moving things, heightened eloquence, uh, controlling all kinds of things. And though I know I'm speaking, I thought of these times, what's going on here? Well, those that preach, have preached, will know what I'm talking about those times. It's a dazzling experience. It's not unique. Preachers know that. But what makes it amazing to me is the fact that during my early years, my preaching, there was little to indicate that I would ever experience anything like that. And the reason is I was so shy. In fact, my inclination on this day, I'd like to be sitting in the back listening rather than be up here. That's my natural inclination. I don't follow my natural inclinations. I do otherwise. When I, I preached my first sermon when I was 16 years old, I did it because I wanted to be a preacher. I knew I was called, though I was so shy. And I can remember the pastor and his wife was a Sunday evening sitting on the front row to support me and I could just see the agony in their faces as, as, as I was preaching on Jonah and the whale. God has a whale of a plan for your life. Um, and when I got done, they told me it was really a good sermon. Look, anybody at 16 who preach, no matter what they do, you'll go, That's, that was a good sermon. And God forgave them their lies, I'm sure, you know. But uh, when I was married and had a couple of children, uh, when I would make announcements, I would have to write them out and read them. My wife would sit over out of my eyesight so I wouldn't catch her eye and get, because if I got a little bit rattled, I would flush and my cheek would and my eyes would water. That's not a very good public speaking thing. But I'd say few people, unless I said this, would suspect that I'd ever been anything but a natural speaker. They'd say, that's his gift. Well, I, I actually, I don't know what to say about that. I suppose so, but God's strength is perfected in weakness and dependence upon him. And that's sometimes when you get that telltale hush, when the babies aren't even crying, they wanna hear what you have to say. That's a joke. Uh, you know that the Holy Spirit is working. So the point of this is all of us are God's workmanship, his masterpiece, his poema, and we have been given good works to do which were set before our existence when, when before we were born. 
And he gives us the necessary power to do. And it's not on a worldly scale. It can be unsung, unseen, unappreciated. It'll never be appreciated except by the one who sees everything and knows everything. Because you are his masterwork, his workmanship. When he brought us into existence, we came as the apex of his creation, surpassing the wonders of the earth and the stars and all God's creatures, bright and beautiful, for we were created by Christ in the image. But there's more. Having been created in Christ Jesus, we have been made new people spiritually, and as such, we are, you are his masterpiece. And what does it require? To believe it. There's, there's not a whole lot of problem understanding what it's, what it's saying here in verse 10, if you just look at the phrases. But the problem is to believe it. And I don't want you to say yes or no. I just want to ask the question, do you believe it? Do you really believe what the scripture says here? We're to realize that he will give us the wherewithal to do it and to work at it and that there is nothing more beautiful than his workmanship working. This, this is God's word, it's not my word. It's something to be believed and then reveled in. Rejoicing in, to allow your soul to swim in the truth. Relax in that truth and be borne along by the tide of his grace. So may God use this to bless you. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that your word would do its work. That you would glorify yourself with the truth of your word by a by your Holy Spirit who wrote this truth, God breathed it. Breathe life into your people through this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.